Over here, laying down on the platform here, I have some Xerox copies of the vision from the Lord that, that he gave me repetitiously starting in 1970 about the great Northwest Territory. And that's over there because people have been asking me that they could get another copy of that vision and so it's in there. Also, I have the Lord Jesus appeared to me yesterday morning in my room. In fact, he was waiting there for me. He was sitting in my chair that I generally sit in. And when I come into the, my room, which is the spirit, he says, I've been waiting for you. So it was, it's, uh, he had awakened me at, the Holy Spirit had awakened me at 3.39 in the morning. And I prayed about three, three and a half hours when I broke into the realm of spirit. And when I broke into the realm of spirit, I broke into the realm of where I see and hear the Lord Jesus. And then he started talking to me. He, and he gave me, uh, I'm having, I'm having, um, qualms about being obedient to do what he told me to do. I don't have any trouble saying what he tells me to say, but it's going to take something more because he wants me to send this letter to whomsoever he wants me to send them. And the word of the Lord is to the prosperity faith movement. And it's not a very nice word. But I don't have the right to, to disobey unless I want to be rebellious. Also over here, I've been trying in this seminar, and we have succeeded a little bit on teaching on discerning of spirits. And we haven't got into it the way I want to, but at least I have here the uh, one study and the second study on discerning of spirits, and these are, I only got about 30 of them. So you can, you can come up and get one if you like after the service. Also, my son is here. Uh, look up from that camera, son, so they can see what you look like. Isn't he beautiful? The girls think he's cute. And I tell them they're all deceived. <laughs> well, good thing you don't look like his dad. He'd really be handsome. <laughs> uh, say hello to the church, son. His name is Michael. He's 21 years old, and he's still single, and I'm going to keep him that way until he's 35. <laughs> and I have to beat off the girls with a club, with a baseball bat, because I think he's a prize for any girl. Of course, I'm prejudiced. Also, when I first come to, to the, these times that I'm with you here in Portland, I brought along three tapes. Two of them are from the seer, the prophet seer, John Paul Jackson. One of the tapes is what the Bible says about prophets. Another one is understanding and interpreting visions and dreams. It is so well presented with such superior quality of, of description in words that I could not even begin to touch it in, in, in the quality of its presentation, and I have them over there. And... Uh, I would like you to, to, if you could donate $5 a tape for them, I'd appreciate it. No, I'm going to make it $4 a tape for them. And then I have another one, which was the last message that I brought on my time in the Dayton, Ohio area. 
It's entitled, How to Be Immutably Immune in God's Immunity in the End Days. It is so highly demanding of God's refined demands that I'm not even even walking in it myself. It was so righteously severe, if you can put it in that way. And that is there too. There's other tapes that I think that you ought to order from my office, which I didn't bring here. And one of them is, Will We Receive the Sears of God? I don't remember the date because you have to order them by date, but they'll know who that title is. There's another tape that you ought to order is, What is this term called trust? I've never in all my 29 years in the ministry in Christ ever heard anybody teach on, on the word trust, but you hear a lot of people say trust in God. But trust is not valid. It's not valid to you, or you will not know whether your trust is valid to God unless he orders some circumstances in your life to see whether you really are trusting him according to his terms. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. And the mind of man can do a lot of consent and say, well, I'm trusting in God. But unless God allows circumstances of events to, to really trouble you, to see whether your trust is valid according to his understanding of trust. It was a revelation message that God gave me in the Feast of Tabernacles in, in Hawaii in 1986. It's profound. You're every, every believer ought to have that. Every believer ought to have that. Will we receive the seers of God? There's two tapes on that. You don't hear much about the seers. The seers are the most rejected of all prophet ministries because they don't have anything good to say. They're called by the masses prophets of doom. And yet if you will look at all the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, all of those prophets, without exception, said more things of doom than they said of promise. Every one of them were prophets of doom. And they didn't have the privilege to not speak. They had the command of God. The consequences to Israel is all the trouble that they've had for 2,000 years for that rejection. In the New Testament, have you ever heard anybody say uh, that I don't believe in a leader, I don't believe in prophets of doom? Have you ever heard that statement? Yes. Now, prophets of doom are, are seers who foresee with greater clarity the ominous foreboding things that is coming to pass. Seers are men or women who don't have an occasional vision, they are a vision. They are also, they are probably the most highly developed, far-reaching individuals that exist in Christ Jesus. They, like John the Beloved, who wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John and the Book of Revelation, he probably is the most, the greatest of apostolic prophet seer of the New Testament of anything in the Bible. 
because the whole book of Revelation is filled with foreboding things of doom. So when, when someone says, I don't believe in prophets or doom, they're literally eliminating out of their lives and all, all of the people that they're responsible for the highest necessity, the highest qualified ministry to those people that exist in the earth. Are you understanding that? Will we receive the seers of God? <clears throat> now, when this man-child begins to manifest, when, he, when this corporate remnant is born, Revelation 12, 5, this man-child people, a remnant in the universal body of Christ, they will have a major characteristics of being ministries of vengeance. They don't exist. They have not yet appeared on the face of the earth. And when they begin to manifest, the church will not have a chance to find grace in God's eyes. They will not only rule the nations with a rod of iron, but they will bring creative, corrective, and punitive judgment to the church. People say, well, he's already bringing judgment. They haven't seen anything yet because the church is terribly, terribly divided. Last night when I talked about the seven movements, the fundamental movement, the the modern movement, the Pentecostal movement, the latter rain movement, the charismatic movement, the faith movement, and the sons of God movement. These are the, when you look in Isaiah, and seven women shall take a hold of one man. I've never understood that scripture until just this month when I was in Ohio. And them seven women... I better t kind of take a look at that scripture if I can find out where it's at. If the Holy Spirit will reveal it to me, because I've never understood that. Isaiah 4.1, For seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread, and we'll wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In other words, we're going to eat only our truths and we're going to be clothed what we understand. So these seven movements are these seven women that's going to take a hold of the man-child. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There's also the, the same women in Revelation 14. We talk about the 144,000 because this is the man-child people. These are the ones, verse 4, who have not been defiled with women. Out of these seven movements, major movements in evangelical Christianity, is going to come a man-child people that is perfect as Jesus Christ. They're going to be so complete in Christ in their experience that there be nothing that can be improved on them or added in their experience. And that's what's going to qualify them for being the man-child for following the Lamb whithersoever it goeth. And in verse 4 of Revelation 14, these are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they are virgins, or they're celibates. 
and got nothing to do with natural women or natural sex. They're so pure in their lives that they have the purity of Jesus Christ now resident in their experience. These are the ones who follow the Lamb, whether it's ever, wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as the first fruits to God, as the beginning number. So the seven women that's going to lay hold of this one man, the man-child, a remnant corporate man-child, are the same women that is not going to defile the man-child. They are about to appear on the scene. Now, when they appear on the scene, and I won't get into this, when we talk about Daniel's 70 weeks, 69 and a half weeks were completed when Jesus said it's finished at the cross. There is one half of a, a prophetic week left, which will be the th last three and a half years of the tribulation period. All of Daniel's 70 weeks revert to the law. They infer to, to God's demands of the law. I'm talking about the severity of the law. So when we come to, so 69 and a half weeks have been fulfilled of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. But there's a half a week yet, three and a half years, that have to be fulfilled. His brethren, the sons, the man-child, I mean the completed, the full-statured sons, will fulfill the last three and a half years, which will be the last week of Daniel's, Daniel's 70 weeks. Also, at that time, there has been grace to the body of Christ and to all mankind from the time that Jesus said he's finished. When the man-child is born, as we know grace now, as we understand grace will be finished and God will revert back to the law and he will rule the church and the nations with the law of the rod. Do you understand what I've said? At the same time that this man-child is born, which will be the theocratic government of God in the earth, what I mean by theocratic government of God in the earth, it will have no admixture, no input of men's biblical prejudicial opinions and interpretations of scriptures. They will be so complete in Christ that Christ will be all in all in them. They will do the greater works. They will do equal works and they will do greater works. They will perfect the church through judgment. First Peter 4.17. And judgment must first begin at the house of God. He cannot judge the nations until first he judges the church. And he'll probably do, be doing the judging at the same time. Now I'm trying to lay this out here where I'm not absolutely right on this. But I'd be very much surprised if I have to change or adjust to too much change. Now is the time to find grace in God's eyes. Now is the time to begin to order your lives of working out your salvation with fear and trembling to such a degree that you find mercy extended to you so that you can become an immune one 
all the way to the end of this age, which includes the last three and a half years of this tribulation. Jesus has appeared to me. I see him with my spiritual ears, or hear him with my spiritual ears, see him with my spiritual eyes as clear as I see you. And hear his voice just like you'd talk to me. And he said, my son, the way that you're living before me today is not adequate, and the way that you're, you will choose to live before me tomorrow will never be sufficient. He could not have been more lovingly severe and hurt me so terribly as saying that. The goodness, the severity of God leads you to repentance, as Scripture says. I want to say this. All the preaching of faith, no matter what movement is preaching it, to what degree, has never brought the leaders nor the people to the substance of faith. Boy, I had no idea I was going to get into this. What is the substance of faith? The substance of faith. Now faith is the substance of the thing you've been hoping for, or the promise, or the word that you've been believing for. The substance of faith is the experience of Jesus Christ reproduced within your experience. All the preaching of faith, no, no matter how well it seems to be acceptable, will be disqualified by God. The only thing that's going to be acceptable by God is where you as a person become literally experienced with the faith that is presently in Jesus Christ this moment. And that can only be obtained, not attained, obtained by looking away unto Jesus so that he can author and finish faith. The just shall live by faith, but the living by faith is not the faith that you get divine results. That's the fruit of faith. The faith that causes you to become a divine result or a divine experience or the experience of Jesus Christ is the gift of faith that he himself has. And it's administered to your experience through the gift of the Holy Spirit called the gift of faith. And if you don't know what to do and how to do it according to spiritual laws and spiritual rules that God has determined of looking away unto Jesus so that he can author and finish the substance of himself, the substance of his faith in your experience, then you'll have to die in faith because you've not experienced the promises. Have you heard what I've said? I sense that the anointing of the prophet seer is on me a little bit here tonight. And I certainly never, I always like to stay away from that. Because I'm human enough to realize that that always puts me in a jeopardy of rejection. And I don't like to be rejected, but that's just tough for Royal. God's plan of the ages, God's purpose for the believers of this age, is that you literally be conformed to the image of his son. God's purpose 
of this age for its culmination is that you have grown up in the Christ Jesus in all aspects. And in, in Romans 9, the Holy Spirit is speaking this to me. We find who these are. Verse 25, as he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people my people, and I will call her who was not beloved my beloved, and it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there you shall be called the sons of the living God. Verse 27, and Isaiah cried in the spirit concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will only be saved. Isaiah cried concerning Israel. Chapter 9, verse 5. Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to flesh who is over all? God bless forever. Amen. But it is not, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Neither are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it is the children of promise who are regarded as descendants. So the real Israel is the body of Christ. That's the true Israel in the earth today. That's God's chosen seed and chosen nation. And natural Israelites have to become born again in Christ to become a real Jew. But the body of Christ, even though it's the Israel of God in experience, they are the Jacob of God. They are not the Israel of God. The Israel part of them has not yet been born because when the man-child is born, they will be the princes of God who have power with God and they will be doing the equal and the greater works of Jesus Christ. They will be the Israel of God in manifestation. In position, the body of Christ is the true Israel of God, spiritually speaking. There is a natural Israel of Hebrew people but they rejected the son, and the consequences was they were scattered through the nations for, for approximately 1,987 years. <coughs> now there's going to be a lot of great salvation for them, but for them to become a real Jew and a real Israelite, they're going to have to be born again, just like anybody else. Now, My invitation to the people of God is to find out what they have to do in a relationship with God and how they have to do it in detail so that they can qualify for being literally, experientially, manifestedly the sons of the living God. I think it's important for us all to begin to ascertain I guess I'm not going to get into discerning of spirits again tonight. I think it's important for us to ascertain the pattern son, Jesus Christ himself. For all those that grow up into Christ Jesus are to be the reduplication of that pattern man, Jesus Christ. The day that he was physically born in Bethlehem in that major, he was positionally and legally the Son of God. 
but experientially and vitally he was not. And the Father, because if the word for Son of God is wheels of God, and he never called him his wheels when he was born. He never called him his wheels until the day of his adoption, which was the day that he was baptized in water, the day that the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And that's the day that he was called the wheels of God. But when the day he was born, he was called a pahadion. A pahadion is from one day to about five years of age. They're infants. Not knowledgeable, not responsible. Then they graduate to what the Greek calls or uses the word technion from about five years to 12 years of age. They're beginning to be trained in knowledge, but not very responsible yet. That happened to Jesus. And then along about the time he was 12 years old, they, uh, the family went to Jerusalem to keep the feast. And after they kept the feast, they went home. And the, the whole tourage of family members that had been uh, migrating from, from, uh, from where they had to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, they w started looking for Jesus and couldn't find him. They thought he was among the family. His mother got worried, couldn't find him, so she went back to Jerusalem and found him in the temple where the doctors and lawyers and Sadducees and scribes and Pharisees, the lawyers, are those who are interpreters of the law was asking him questions, and he was marveling at his wisdom. And she come up to him, and she still didn't call him wheel. She come up to him, and she says, Technon, why have you been treating us this way? Now, Technon is from the age 12 to the age of their life, unless they receive their adoption. Now, the word Technon means knowledgeable now, or beginning to be trained and proven in faithfulness, in obedience, in submission, and in capacity of responsibility. And long about 30 years of age, remember after that 12 year, after that experience in the temple, the scripture says, and Jesus, when, when he said to her, don't you know I ought to be about my father's business? She held those sayings in her heart, but the scripture says he was subject, he was sub submissive to them. And he went with them. And then we what we have, the 18 silent years. It shows, uh, history shows that to Joseph and Mary, his so-called father, was born four boys and three sisters by natural sexual union. But also it shows that Joseph, his so-called father, died very early after the seventh child was born. So that automatically put Jesus, the, the, the firstborn, the so-called firstborn son, into the family priesthood position of not only making sure that the family is taught the spiritual heritage of the law, but also of all the provision of the family for income. So he worked from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night, six, 12 hours a day, 6 days a week, in a carpenter shop making provision for his family. But their only training was the, the rehearsing and the learning and the memorizing of the law. For 18 years he did that. 
He still was not called by the Heavenly Father a son of God. He was called a pahadion, a technion, and now a technon. Then one day, the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him in that carpenter shop. He probably took off his apron, laid his tools aside, and he started walking down to the River Jordan, where his so-called cousin, John the Baptist, was baptizing people. And John the Baptist had already been pre-informed. He says, upon you, whom you say the Spirit coming upon and remaining upon, this is called the wheels of God. So when Jesus walked up to him to be baptized, he said, well, I got need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, well, let's baptize me now so that we may fulfill righteousness. So Jesus went down into the water and he was baptized by, by his so-called cousin, in the, uh, submerged in the water, and he come up. And when he come up out of the water, the scripture says the heavens were opened. The realms, the plural realms of heaven, the plural realms of spirit were opened up to him. And there was a voice that came out of those heavens that said, this is my beloved wheels whom I'm well pleased. That was the day he became the son of God. That was the day of his adoption. Because the word adoption is not uh, um, an unparented child being taken by benevolent adults. The word adoption in the, in the Greek is huesia. It means the, the literal placement of a son. It's a literal placement or it's a literary graduation from a, from a male species, from a technon to a wheels of God or a wheels of his earthly father. Even the Hebrew people, the firstborn son was always the first one marked to receive the first inheritance. Long a time about they were 30 years old, if they had been faithful in submission, in obedience, in responsibility, and proving, proven capable of all the demands of the father, the Hebrew father would call friends of the family, call the elders of Israel, and he would take his firstborn son and he'd set him, set him down or stand him in the midst of all of them, and he'd lay his hands upon him and he says, this day you are my beloved wheels. And that's the day that the earthly father would transfer his entire inheritance his life's inheritance, the administration, the government, the execution of everything into his son's hands. And that was the day that the Father, the Heavenly Father, by the Huesia Act, transferred all of the government and the authority of the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, into Jesus Christ. He was now the Son of God. Are you listening to me? And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you in the world. So therefore, when you're born again, you're pahadions. Then you've got to feed on the milk of the word. You're not responsible anything, for anything and not even ready too much to absorb too much information. Long about the time that you're five years old, you begin to be develop a responsibility of deciding between right and wrong. Your conscience now begins to determine choices for you. And it's an official thing with the Hebrew people and it's an official thing with God when Jesus was 12 years old at the feast. That's when he graduated from being a technion to a technon. Now things change. Now he was going to be trained to be proven in submission and in knowledge, and in understanding, and in responsibility, and in faithfulness, and in loyalty, and all the demands of God so that he could come to a place of his adoption, the action of placing him as a 
literally placed son. Now all the world is awaiting and travail and groaning in pain till now for a manifestation of a people called wheels of God. Now when I talk about wheels of God or son of God, I'm talking about a person and a corporate people and a remnant people in the body of Christ who are so complete in Christ Jesus that there's nothing more that can be added to their experience. I'm talking about a people, a remnant that Isaiah talked about that's going to be saved by the beginning of the tribulation period. And that's all that's going to be saved in the beginning of the tribulation period to that degree of completeness. They're going to be the governors of heaven and earth. Jesus is going to be so incarnate in their lives, spirit, soul, and body, that there is nothing left of them, but they have now become the corporate Christ of God, the many-membered remnant of Jesus Christ, known as the sons of the living God. My message is to invite you to qualify in those demands. Are you listening to me? And may God give you grace to do it. For whom he foreknew, Romans eight twenty nine. for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now let's look at two words, the word conformed and the word image. The word conformed is sumorphos. It means rendered identical, indistinguishable, exactly the same, denoting not only absolute union in association, but absolute equality and quantity and completeness that exists in Jesus Christ. That's mind-boggling. The word icon, the word image is icon. It means not a mere likeness, certainly not an imitation, more than a resemblance, but an absolute exact reduplication, being precisely like. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to this kind of, this kind of measure, this kind of quality that is in Jesus Christ. And, and Romans 8, 19 says... For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the wheels of God. And we got people, we got, we got what I talked about last, last meeting about the seven major evangelical movements in the body of Christ. The modern movement, the fundamental movement, the Pentecostal movement, the latter rain movement, the Karish movement, the faith movement, and the sons of God movement. And all of them, at this present day, are disqualified. Even the ones who are of the Sons of God movement, who say, we are now the Sons of God, and, and the faith movement say, we are now the Sons of God. When I talk about a Son of God, I'm talking about a person and a corporate people that are able to work and perform in character and ability that is equal to Jesus Christ and greater works. That's what I'm talking about, sons of God. And when these people say that they're, they're sons of God, 
That's great. Jesus was a son of God in position, but I'm talking about a son of God in experience. An experience that is approved by God, the Father. And they quote the scripture, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, in 1 John 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, in the, in the King James Version. In the New American Standard says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and the Greek word is technon. Now we're the knowledgeable ones being proven in, in faithfulness, in submission, in obedience, in responsibility, in execution, until we come to our huesia, our adoption. So these people say, now are we the sons of God? It's great. That don't make it so. You don't confess your way to get experience. Faith does not come by confession. Faith comes by hearing the rhema. Did you hear me? You don't confess your way to get faith. You confess your way from faith. Imparted faith. The gift of faith. The rhema faith. Are you understanding? So you can confess you're a son of God until you're blue in the face. It does not make it so. The only thing that will make it so is when the Father has found you so submissive, so obedient, so faithful, so loyal, so responsible, so proven according to his demands that one of these days you'll be birthed out of the woman in travail and you'll be caught up to God and to his throne and you'll be called the wheels of God. Are you listening to me? Now that will not happen automatically because you believe, will not happen automatically because you confess it so. It will only ha happen because you order your life according to the rules. 2 Timothy 2.5 The athlete does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. You hear this remark all the time. It's all by grace through faith. As there is no responsibility up on you and I to do anything but sit around and believe. Have you ever heard that? It's all by grace through faith. And the way it's taught, all you've got to do is sit there in them seats and listen to a guy preach it to you and believe it. Well, I've got news for you. That scripture is found in Ephesians 2. We are saved by grace through faith. And the context is, it's talking about the ungodly. There is no not a blessed thing that the ungodly had to do except Jesus, I'm a sinner. Grace means unmerited. They had no responsibility. They didn't even have any desire to seek out God. It's the Holy Spirit that wooed them and, and, and out in the earth and began to bring them to a place to where they could be brought to conviction where they'd say yes to Jesus. That's by, we are saved by grace through faith. But for the believer, grace is conditional. And you'll never hear anybody teach this, and you're going to find a lot of people angry with me for saying it. But Jesus appeared to me, and it's in the book here, of the epistles. I want to give that to you, Mother. He appeared to me in, in, in a motel room in 4 o'clock in the morning, well, let me, I'd been preaching in a minister's conference, 
And in the minister's conference, it's, I felt like the word that I gave was scathing. It just literally just scathed them. And I really was worried about that. So I went back to my motel and I fell asleep about quarter to twelve. At five minutes after two, I was sleeping on my left side facing the door and the window that goes out to the motel room. And at five minutes after two, I awakened and I felt a hand on my shoulder and I looked up and it was Jesus bent over me with his right hand on my shoulder. And when he saw that I was awake, he turned around and walked through the wall and out across the parking lot and disappeared. And I lay wondering about what that was all about. So I laid there and began to pray, wrestling with God, wrestling with myself of the scathing word that I had brought the night before to that minister's conference. And I don't like to be scathing. I don't like to be severe. Uh, I don't like to be intimidating. And now at 4.15 in the morning, Jesus reappears. Now this time he appears in my room. So you, most of you know where I'm coming from. My room is my head. My shoulders is floor level. And this room is circular, semi-spherical, and dome-shaped. It's 30 feet diameter and 20 feet high. That has, that has numeric values to it that I won't go in and explain. And Jesus comes into this room and talks to me like I would come into this room and talk to you. And it's in the book. I think you'll find it in August the 4th, 1986 or 84 or 85. Somewhere in the end of the book of the epistles of the appearances of the Lord Jesus to me. This is what he's, I, I asked him, I says, Lord, what was you, this was, and it's been happening more and more that most of the time when he appears to me, he does all the talking. I'm just doing the listening. But this time, it's been in 86, when he would appear to me, there was a two-way conversation. I would talk to him like I would talk to you. This time he says, Lord Jesus, what were you trying to say through me last night? And then he began to talk about grace to me. And he's very concentrated in what he says. And he always validates with the scriptures what he says to authenticate it so that I'm not, I'm not writing opinions. I'm, I'm writing what he, I hear him saying. I hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. And that doesn't make me a privileged character. It just means that he's made the choice to reveal himself to me. And it's not because of respect of persons or I'm highly favored of God any more than anybody else. But he talked to me then. He said, and it's brevity, and I, won't, I don't remember it word for word. He said, grace to the ungodly is unmerited without favor. No obligation. But grace to the godly is conditional upon their progressive obedience and their deepening repentance. Then grace is extended to them to gain experience in me. Now, if there was, if there was unmerited favor that required nothing in your part, then the scripture, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, would be nullified. 
Then the scripture, be, do, be ye doers of the word, not only hearers of the word, lest you be deceivers yourself would be nullified. Because you can't work your way to gain favor with God. The ungodly certainly didn't do anything good to try to get saved. Are you listening? And also the scripture uh, that says, let us labor that we may enter into rest. That would be eliminated if it was all by grace through faith with the believer. Also in, 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 in Matthew 7, when it talks about, to him that hears my word and does it, does it, does it, <laughs> does it I learned in the theological cemetery, I mean seminary. <laughs> to him that hears my word and does it, I will liken him to a wise man. It would wipe that out. Are you listening to me? And so, grace to the believer is only conditional upon your obedience to all his commands and all his demands, all his principles and all his precepts. And your obedience has to be according to his terms and his intent, his intent and to his interpretation of what he himself thinks. Are you listening? I've never heard myself teach what I'm teaching tonight. You have a question? What did Jesus look like to me? That's a little off my subject, but I'll briefly answer that. I've never seen Jesus appear to me the same way twice. I'm so captured, so raptured, so caught by his presence that my soul man does not take note, well, he's five foot two eyes of blue you see but he does have blue eyes and he has light brown hair and it's about shoulder length but he's not trying to convey to me his facial features he's trying to convey to me understanding of his thinking He's trying to convey to me his life. Are you listening? So, if you grow up into Christ Jesus in all aspects, if you become complete in experience with Christ Jesus, he'll look like that, and he'll look like that, and he'll look like that. He'll look exactly like what you look like. And so, if you're growing up in Christ and you begin to mature in the mind of Christ, when I see Jesus, I see him look like that. You see so that's what he looks like. Does that answer your question? And so, if you want to find out about more about seeing Jesus, I have an album on that, seeing Jesus. And then, if you really and and you won't see Jesus unless you get hungry, and you can't get hungry by willpower. But I've got two two albums of tapes over there. God, or God, or hunger for God. Don't listen to them because it'll ruin you. It'll make you so hungry and make you miserable. Now, I want to stress again something of this school of prophets to give you vision, hoping that you, it will drop in your heart a hunger to be part of it. Here while we're in the Portland area. I would to God that every pastor in the area would come to me or come to the, this school. I would to God that they would. Because they need it more than anybody. Another thing, 
very, it's very plausible or possible that you'll never grow up into the things I prophesy to you unless your pastor and the leaders with him or her will allow you to walk out and fulfill the prophecies that I have brought over you. Because the prophecies that I prophesy over people cannot be fulfilled outside of divine order. So I don't know what we're going to do. You better start praying that the pastors open their hearts to me. When I was here last time, I, 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 I dismissed one of my services to go and be part with Brother Bonke, the, the South African evangelist that's having such uh, national and international miracles. So I dismissed my service to be a part of it. And there was a whole host of pastors on the back part of the platform that were sponsoring of this evangelist. And as I was praying that night when I went to bed, I got to thinking it would be wonderful if the, the pastors in the city would receive and host an apostle of God, an apostle of the kingdom, just like they do an evangelist. But they don't do that. They don't even see the need. And yet God has set first in the church apostles in the plural. He has not set first in the church evangelists or pastors. He set first in the church apostles. Secondarily, prophets. But the itinerant apostles and prophets, almost all of them are lawless ministries in ignorance. What I mean by that? They are not receptive to and they are not interreceptive, intersubmission, submissive to one another, as though they, each other is Jesus Christ. The churches that Paul went to, he said, you received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. I don't know of a church. Well, I know of a few that received me like that. It's terribly embarrassing. But you can't imagine the magnitude of blessing that comes on that assembly of believers because they've received me like that. They're not receiving a man named Royal. They're receiving an apostle of the kingdom. And Jesus Christ is the apostle in that man called Royal. Royal is imperfect, but Jesus Christ is perfect. Are you listening? Now, I want to just briefly go through through 17 seminars that I need with you as a school of prophets. Some of them would, would take a meeting for 45 days in, in continuity for one seminar. Dividing the human spirit from the human soul is one. Number two, functions of the human spirit. Functions of the human spirit, exercising and the training of your spirit senses. I don't, I've never heard anybody teach on this. Number three, the deeper life interior way of what it is to literally walk in spirit. Number four, which we've been trying to get into in this seminar, is discerning of spirits, or developing in manifesting a high quality of discerning of spirits. Number five, manifesting the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number six, the office ministries of Jesus Christ in divine order. There's nine offices that's given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, deacons, governments, and helps. And number eight, the disciplines and governments in the local church 
The local church don't know anything about that. That's why the church is so divided. We've never had the discipline of the Most High God in our midst. Number nine, uh, you all may prophesy one by one. Every one of you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you should be prophesying, exercising the gift of prophecy. Just because people exercise the gift of prophecy does not make them a prophet. Number ten, I have that album over there, The Workings of Deception to the Elect. And I want to share this, that when the tribulation begins, immediately is going to be set up the one world church and the one world government, and both of them will be one. And, all, and the greatest majority of the body of Christ will be caught in that one world church. And the consequence of that is going to be terrible. And we won't talk about that. Then the twelve tribes of Israel in the body of Christ. That is such rich, delicious stuff, it's ridiculous. Every believer that's ever born born in God is placed by the Holy Spirit into one of the tribes. And the prophecies over the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob, in, in, in Genesis 49, Ezekiel, uh, Deuteronomy 33 and Ezekiel 48 and Revelation 7 are prophecies over the body of Christ. I'm an Issacharite. God has placed me in the tribe of Issachar. I am the spiritual seed of Issachar. All the prophecies concerning Issachar throughout the scriptures, especially in Genesis 49, Deuteronomy 33, and Ezekiel 48, and I hope Revelation 7 are prophecies over my life. And I've never tried to fulfill them, but if you understand those, those prophecies and you know about my life, it's amazing how my life is, is being fulfilled to fulfill those scriptures. So I'm literally only fulfilling what is written concerning me. Now, a lot of people who have heard this remark are going to call, he's an arrogant fool. I forgive you, whoever says that. I'm not trying to prove it. I'm not justifying it and vindicating it. I can't prove it, but the Most High will. And I leave that up to him. Then, without holiness no man shall see the Lord. I'm talking about experiential holiness. I'm not talking about whether the ladies have to wear their collars up to here, and their sleeves down to here, and their dresses down to their ankles, or a doily on their head. I'm talking about the holiness that God is. Is to be reproduced in your experience. And that is not a human ability to attain it. What I'm saying is this is not a life to be attained. It's a life to be obtained. It's not, it's not a life of belief that will cause change. It's a life of belief that will cause exchange. You is, in, you is out and Jesus is in. Terrible English. Then we have the 12 gates of the heavenly city, Revelation 21, which are 12 experiences that you must enter into to come to the Urim and Thummim of God, the lights and the perfections of God in your experience. Those 12 gates are 12 experiences that you've got to enter into. And the man-child people will go through those 12 gates and they will exp 
experience, those 12 experiences that are necessary to become absolutely perfect like Christ. Now we get into some really heavy stuff. Daniel is the most difficult, weighty, misunderstood book that is written. So we need to, and I believe that you've heard of Daniel 70 weeks. I believe that just this month, the first part of this month, God gave me understanding of Daniel 70 weeks and its chronological order and its ultimate fulfillment. But I can't prove it, but I sure like to teach it. Would that sound good? And then there's what we call the the Bible's seven times prophecies that start in Genesis and end up in Revelation. Then there's what we call the Bible's 70 times seven prophecies, which is the sum total of all prophecies fulfilled within humanity. And then there's something else that I just have, have been exposed to this week, which this dear lady has shared with me, 87-year-old precious saint, I got to sit at her feet for three hours the other day listening to her talk about God's great week. It's mind-boggling. Now, what is that? It's seven weeks of generations. One generation is 40 years. And the Bible talks about in three different places, in the mouths of two or three witnesses shall the word of the Lord be established, that God is going to extend his dealings with man for a thousand generations. So that's 40,000 years. And we're only six days into the first 40,000 years. And that begins with Abraham. So it's 42,000 years, literally. But then we come with the sabbatical or the jubilee week, which is 49,000 years, and ultimately ends up in 52,000 years, and that ends the first magnitude of God with God's plan for man. Isn't that glorious? And I got to sit at this dear heart's feet and listen to her. And I was just like a baby robin at feeding time with the mouth wide open, with my spirit wide open. And I'm hoping that God will enlarge what she shared with me to me. But of course, you're not too concerned with God's plan somewhere down 52,000 years from now or 44,000 or whatever it is left. Let's see. 52 subtract 6, that's, uh, uh, that's 46,000 years. What you need to be concerned about is how can you become conformed to the image of his son in this generation, in this decade? I have a promise for you. Amos 9.13, I'd like to have you read it. See, people listen to me teach and they say, oh, I'll never make it. Shame on you with your unbelief. God has never designed that you to make it. He's designed that you allow Jesus Christ to make it in you. Apart from me, you can't make it. Apart from abiding in him, you can't make it. Apart from looking away into him in a real way where it works so he can often finish faith, you can't make it. You'll have to die in faith without receiving the promises. Are you listening? And I want you to understand it is not a lifetime of learning. 
Here we got 1987 years from the cross that has been a lifetime of learning for the body of Christ and no one has ever come to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. No one has ever been conformed to the image of his son. No one has ever grown up into Christ Jesus in all aspects. But you're living in the decade, probably the decade, when there will be a remnant in the universal body of Christ that will experientially, experimentally become the image, the fullness, the measure, the stature, the likeness of the Son of God. And that's what I'm inviting you to. Isn't this delicious stuff tonight? Hallelujah. So, would you like to hear in brevity, in broad panoramic scope, of what you have to do to do it, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Now, I want you to understand you will not win the prize of sonship measure, sonship image, sonship statue, sonship fullness, unless you compete according to the rules. And those rules are the laws of the Spirit. And the laws of the Spirit of you doing the action of looking away into Jesus so that he can author and finish your faith. The rules or the law of Spirit is abiding in him so that the frame of word can have supremacy in you. You speak it as you will, it shall be your experience. The laws, the rule of the Spirit is to be conformed to his image of his Son. How is that going to be done? While beholding him, while doing the action of beholding him, you will be changed into his image from glory to glory by the power working of the Holy Spirit. It is not a learned ability. It's an imparted ability. And that imparted ability only comes because you do the work of developing intimacy with Jesus Christ in the state called on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to develop that intimacy, there is no way that he can conform you to his image. There is no way that you'll actually hear the frame of word. There's no way that he can author and finish faith because he will not violate his laws and his rules. And nobody that I know of, or very few, are teaching the rules. They're teaching you to believe the promises. They're teaching you to confess the promises. Once in a while you'll find a few that are teaching you what to do, but you find nobody, hardly anybody, teaching you how to do what you have to do so that it works. Are you listening? I forgot to punch my stopwatch. How long have we preached? Huh? I've just preached a half hour? i got a half hour left, Okay. Okay. Now this is probably the first time that I have given a panoramic scope of God's plan to any people. And it's coming out of my mouth in amazing clarity to me. But I'm, I'm quite sure that you will not absorb anything that I've said, hardly anything I've said. You're going to have to get the tape. And I would suggest that you get a hold of this study outline and you'll find all there, all the scriptures that is, that is listed. And I'll give one to Mother here. She asked me when she finished teaching me, now what are you going to teach me? I don't know if I can teach her anything. But the Holy Spirit can. I hope that I, I, I suspect that I have something that she needs. But I'm quite sure she has a lot that I want to get. Does that make sense? Now, there has to be practical things. The body of Christ is very impotent and very sterile. The only ones that have some capacity is, is the 
the leaders in leadership position, like pastors and Sunday school teachers and things like this. But they're not growing up into his image. Why? Because they're not subject to the divine order. The divine order is that the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers and the elders and the deacons are going to have to be submissive to and recipient to to the plurality of apostles that are one spirit because God set them first in the church. But the way that we got it in, in the earth is that the pastors are the big cheese. They're set first in the church. Now I'm not talking about there, none of these offices are set in the church according to rank or importance, but only in function. But a people, a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, or the sheep cannot come to the perfect man outside of divine order. And divine order is where all the office ministries, all nine office gifts in the plural, all the nine fruit of the Spirit in the plural, and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifesting in your midst so that you can be brought to the knowledge or to the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith cannot be developed and be, until there is a unity of the Spirit. And that unity of the Spirit has to be experientially so produced, reproduced, incarnated in a people that it, it equals the same unity that existed between Jesus Christ and the Father as he walked on the earth. And that is not a human ability to attain or obtain. You cannot attain the unity of the Spirit by intellectual agreement of doctrine or revelation. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And unless you can order your life according to the rules of intersubmission, of interreception, I won't go into all of the other eight or nine enters that you've got to enter into, then they will never come to the unity of the Spirit, which will bring us to the unity of the faith, which will bring us to the experienced knowledge of the Son of God, which will bring us to the perfect man, which will bring us to the measure of the stature of the fullness that exists in Jesus Christ. It has to begin in the unity of the Spirit. And when we get into the unity of the Spirit, then we will fulfill Jesus' prayer of John 17, verse 11. Keep them in thy name, which the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are. And John 17, verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. How did he send them? He sent the Father to be, the Son to be one with the Father. Unless the ministries can become with each other one, the unity and oneness and unity and love and interreceptivity and intersubmission and intercorrection and interteachability like Jesus was to the Father, they will all be disqualified. Because God will only accept this scripture fulfilled in human experience. As thou hast, as thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have really sent me. And that the glory which thou hast given me, you, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, 
that they may be perfect as us in one. Only those who qualify for that sort of fulfillment within their experience will be of the man-child people. And only those who are in union with those man-child people will be blessed of the Lord. Now I will speak a little bit as a seer. By 1992, there will be six billion people upon the face of the earth. Six is God's, or, uh, God's number for man. 1990s will be the decade of judgments. The 1990s will be the conclusion of this age. And the beginnings of the kingdom age will begin when all judgments is finished. Isaiah 6.13 says that only one-tenth shall remain in the earth and it shall be the holy seed. So one-tenth of six billion is 600 million people and it will be the holy seed. Now when we come to Revelation 12, we find three different groups of qualified salvation, three different qualities of salvation. We find the man-child people, we find the woman in the wilderness people, and we find the remainder of her offspring. The numbers fit. One-third of the earth by 1992 will be Christians. One-third of humanity. That means one billion, eight hundred million people will be believers. It was in December that God began to reveal to me by revelation that only one-third of that 1.8 billion people will be protected and carried into the wilderness and nourished for the three and a half years of the tribulation. Another third of the believers, and, 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 and that will be Revelation 12, 6 and 14. Another third, which is 600 million, will fall away from the faiths. Why will they fall away from the faith? Because they will be given the choice of taking the mark of the beast to see whether they can sustain life by buying and selling. Are you listening to me? The other third, the other remaining third, will be believers that will have to go through some form of premature death and maintain their testimony in that in order to be saved. Have you understood what I've said? One-third will be protected by the man-child people. The man-child people is Revelation 12.5. The third that will be protected by them is 600 million. They will be the woman that is led into the wilderness after the man-child is born. And there they will be nourished for them three and a half years. It won't be peaches and cream. Now we've got two-thirds left. One-third will fulfill Revelation 12:17, which is the remainder of her offspring. Or, I mean, the other two-thirds will, will fulfill Re Revelation 12:17, the remainder of offspring. But a half of them, two-thirds, which is one-third, which is 600 million, will draw away from the faith and take the mark of the beast in order to survive. The other third, which is another 600 million, will be saved if they maintain their testimony unto the end or the end of their life. So here we have 
One billion six eight hundred million divided in three. One third the woman in the wilderness. One third falling away, and one third dying for their faith. Are you listening to me? Now, you don't hear this talk. You don't want to hear anybody want to hear it. But you see, I won't accept. I won't accept that kind of revelation. It, it weighed upon me all day long, but I didn't have any scripture for it until. In, in January, I was back in the East Coast, and I was alone with God, snowed in by a snow job outside. And I was reading the Word, and I come across Zechariah 13.8, and he gave me the answer. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish. That's the two-thirds of Revelation 12.17. One-third will perish because they take the mark of the beast. One-third will be saved because they maintain their testimony through some form of premature death. But the third will be left in it. That's the third of the woman in the wilderness. And I will bring the third part through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. And there you find the confirmation of the scriptures, of the revelation of what he's, to, what he's told me. Now, I'm not going to dogmatically say, thus saith the Lord. God is big enough to defend his own word. If somebody can teach me something more pure, I'll, I'll, change, my, I'll change my heart and my understanding. I'm just sharing this with you. Now, which group will you fall into? Will you fall into, will you rise into the man-child people? Or will you qualify for the woman in the wilderness? Or will you qualify for the remainder of her offspring, which is two-thirds of the body of Christ, which is 1.2 million, which is 600 million, will take the mark of the beast and fall away from the faith, and 600 million will be saved through some form of premature death? Where will you fall into? Now let's look at the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle, all of the outer court people will be all those born again who fulfill Re Revelation 12, 17. They are the remainder of her offspring. The holy place people are all the people of God who have received the Holy Spirit. But we've got a problem there. When you see the virgin, when you read the, 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 uh, the parable of the ten virgins, over half of the Spirit-filled people will be disqualified and they will be thrust back out into the inheritance of the outer court people. And they will have to either take the mark of the beast or die for their salvation. And only half of them will be qualified to be saved of the spirit-filled people. Now, who's the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies will be the man-child people. Those that have prepared them heart, their hearts They've had such a relationship with Jesus Christ that, he, that the, Jesus through the Holy Spirit has formed the perfection, the fullness, the measure of the stature of himself in them. They will be the Holy of Holies. They will be the tabernacle of God. They will be the fullness of the Godhead bodily as Jesus Christ. Have you understood what I've said? Now I'm inviting you to order your life in such a way that God can qualify you to be of the man-child people so that you can come to your adoption where the Father can place you as a son. Now, here's some of the things that you'll have to become. Matthew eleven twelve. The last part. 
let's read from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Now this word take it by force is harpazo. Harpazo means to seize, to break open forcibly, to compel, to capture by spiritual authority, to overwhelmingly take possession of infinite, unlimited intention to usurp the power effect of the throne. Remember what Jesus said to him that overcomes and sits down with me in my throne, even as I overcome and sit down with the Father in his throne? What did he do to do the action of overcoming? And if you are going to be an overcomer fulfilling that scripture, Revelation 3.21, you're going to have to do what he did and overcome like he overcame by him being formed in you to become it. Are you listening? Hallelujah. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom, the realm of the realm of spirit suffered violent. Violent men take it by force. Violent men take it by harpazo. The same Greek word is used for the birth of the man-child. And she gave birth to a man-child, not a baby-child, Revelation 12.5. She gave birth to a matured man-child, a son of God, a wheels of God, who was caught up, harpazo up to God and to his throne. Now, where in the world is up to God and his throne? It is not some physical throne in some physical heavens and some physical earth. The throne of God is inside of you. This happened to be the throne of God. So these people are just going to be caught up into throne experience, the experience of the Godhead completed in them. Isn't that a marvelous? That's what the man-child is. A people, a remnant of God, caught up to become the very throne of God. Isn't that exciting? It's the same word that Paul exercised. He said, I don't know whether I know of a man 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know which. How much time we got left? Not much. Ten minutes. I'm going to say it all in 90 minutes and I'm not going to say any more. It was the same word where he says, I know of a man 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know what. But he was harpazo up to, to the third heaven, to the paradise of God. Now, he didn't know whether he was winning any place or whether he's in the body or out of the body. Well, I got news for you. I've been there. I, too, have been caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know what. But I know by experience that I was going up. But I also know by experience I wasn't going anywhere. Does that make sense? So what was happening in my spirit consciousness, I being caught up to an ascending state of consciousness where the throne of God, the paradise of God. And Jesus said to him that overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. It's the same place and it's in you, your spirit man. Isn't that exciting? So what is it you have to overcome? Glad you asked me. Revelation 12, 11. And I saw, let's see, Revelation and they overcame him. Who's they? It's re referring back to the man-child people. And they overcame him. Who's him? Him, Satan. And all of, all of, all of the thing that is against God. They overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the Logos word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to its death. 
Now, what is it they overcome? The word lives is suke. Suke is soul. Soul is your mind. And so you're only going to overcome by the Logos word in your testimony and you have to overcome your mind to its death. Except, Jesus taught in Luke 9.23, except a man lose his life, his suke, his soul, his mind, he cannot find Zoe life. And everything that I do and teach is to teach you what to do and how to do it so that you can lose your mind, so you can lose your soul life, so that you can gain his life. It's not gained through learning, it's gained through intimacy. Did you hear what I said? It's not gained through learning, Learning, it's gained through intimacy. You don't learn your way into this, you, you experience your way in this by intimacy with Jesus Christ in the Spirit. And everything I teach you teaches you what to do and how to do it so you can become intimate with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think I have all the answers. I'm not that smart. And I haven't yet arrived but I plan to. This message that God has given me, I call it my gospel. I think it's been one of the missing crews to the body of Christ of how to do the word so that it works. How to be intimate with Jesus so it works. How to become the image of the Son. And I'm going to leave it with you now. Of all that I've said, I've spoken as a prophet seer to you tonight in teaching so that you might understand God's plan. But do yourself a favor. Whoever you're listening to, whether it's television, whether it's a church pulpit, whether it's a retreat, a seminar, whether it's a good Christian book, whether it's a tape, I want you to do yourself a favor and ask these three questions. Number one. Is he or she teaching me what to believe? And they're all teaching you what to believe. And we're very divided in that. Let's be a little bit more severe. Is she or he teaching me what to do with what I believe? And you'll find only a few are teaching you what to do. But anything you can do with human ability disqualifies you. Let's be a little bit more severe. Ask this question, is he or she teaching me how to do what I have to do because I believe according to divine rules? And you'll find nobody is teaching you how. And unless you learn how, unless you do it in the way it has to be done, if you don't compete or order your life according to divine rules, you'll have to die in faith without receiving the promises. And you, if you allow yourself to think, oh, I'll never make it, Shame on you for your unbelief. You've just sealed your inheritance to die in faith without receiving the promises. But God is bringing an apostolic messenger or messengers, messengers with a clarity of word of understanding that's going to help you. And I never did get to that scripture and we'll end with that, I hope, uh, in, uh, in Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes will overtake him who sows the seed. When the mountains will grip, grip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved and I will restore the captivity of my people Israel and they will, they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. Ruined cities and live in them. Every city in the earth is coming down. And they will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit and they will also plant them on their land and they will not again be rooted out of their land which I have given them, says the Lord God. I'm going to give you some hope. 
we're entering into a, to a, a stage or a relationship with God where he's going to cause your change to accelerate in such a way that you're going to change more in the next few weeks, months, and immediate years than all the churches changed in 1987 years. What does that mean? If you understand the plowman and the the reaper, a farmer who plows, he plows his soil in the the fall after the harvest, gets it ready for the next next harvest, cultivates it and plants the seed, then it germinates a little bit, then winter sets in. Then in the summer, the latter rains come and and it germinates in the blade and the stalk in the full year and it it takes one full year from the time of cultivating to the harvest. The days are coming, saith the Lord, that the plowman is going to overtake the reaper, meaning God is going to be so powerful in word and deed that he's going to change your understanding and change your experience without any known chronological time. And if you understand about grapes, if you understand about grapes, it takes five years from the time that you plant the seed to the time that you tread the grapes. And the time is coming, saith the Lord, that the power of God and the word of the Lord is going to be in such, such, uh, such elect ones, such illuminated ones, such authoritative ones, that they're going to cause cause to, in those who are receptive to them to change more in five years than they have the entire history of man. In other words, no chronological time is going to be permitted. The greater works, when I was in Hawaii, one day after a feast of tabernacles and six hours of service, I went into a barn off the side of the property, and I was so tired, and the Spirit of the Lord was resting on me, about 20 saints, and no, no recorder, and I began to talk about the greater works. For two hours, I talked about the greater works. They've never, they've never been written. You've never heard them. I began to talk about the greater works. And after I finished for two hours, I was so drained of energy, they had to help carry me out of, out of there across the street to my hotel where I was staying. And as we crossed the threshold of the barn, none of us could remember what was said. He opened that realm up to us, and he closed it to us again. He that believes in me and the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than this shall he do, because I go to my Father. Let me prepare you for the man-child. This man-child is going to come as vengeance of God. So you're going to have to be developed in discerning a spirit to know whether that really is God. Because it's also the day of false Christs, false prophets doing signs and wonders and miracles. They will appear just like the truth, but it is a perverted ministry. False Christ means falsely anointed ones. And you can't know a falsely anointed one except by discerning a spirit. Time to grow up, saints. That hope is the days are coming. So if you can be receptive to these ones, it's going to be the vengeance of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what I mean by that, these, these man-child people are going to be so mature and so complete in, 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 in Christ, they'll come up to a derelict, a dope addict, or a harlot, or a diseased person, speak a word, and in an instant of time, they'll be completed in Christ as a son of God. Knowing no time, that's one of the greater works that Jesus never did. And every one that is open to them, I don't care what your disease is, if you are honest in your heart and humble and submissive in your heart and receptive to this man-child people, you will be made perfectly whole because God is going to have a perfect church, spirit, soul, and body. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the revelation word that you've given me tonight. Now let this word sink deep into their inner man. And I pray that you will water it with the spirit of wisdom and revelation workings in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. 
that you would enlighten the eyes of their heart with understanding so that they may experimentally know what the hope of your calling is of bringing many sons to glory so that they may know experimentally what the hope, what the riches of the glory of your inheritance is in the saints of being the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge of being filled up with all the fullness of God that also that they may know in their, in their experience what the exceeding greatness of your miracle dunamis power is towards them because you believe. Nothing less than the three powers that you wrought in Christ when you raised from the dead, aviskros, kratos, and energen, being made whole, immortal in God. Lord, this is marvelous in your eyes that you would unfold the panoramic plan of God for this next few days, weeks, and months, and years ahead. Would you draw us that we may run to you? Would you give us a commitment of, of paying the price of, of, of doing the will of God? Would you take out of our heart the love of this world, the love of this things of this world, even the love of things that isn't even sin? Would you draw us that we may run to you? Would you help us to behold you that you may change us from glory to glory into his image? Would you look upon us with mercy and grace so that you can impart and author and finish your faith substance within us? Would you teach us how to abide in you so that the rhema can have supremacy in us so that we can speak it as a will and it shall be done to us? I humble myself to you, Father. I'm in awe at your word. I'm in awe at your plan. May we be counted worthy to qualify for your namesake. Amen.